I'm conscious of, you know, answering emails and phone calls and like making sure that I'm not a problem person because it scares me to death to imagine that I would live out my days shooting Hallmark movies. You're listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. Hey guys, this is Alex uh, on another episode of Mouthwash. Um, today we're talking to um, a really talented director of photography named Andrew Palermo. Um, he, maybe m- most of his like more known works is uh, him being the cinematographer for A Ghost Story. Um, and I know he's working on another A24 film and I'm sure there's a lot of other work that, has, um, that we're unaware of that we're here to chat about today. So, hey Andrew. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, dude, of course. Um, yeah, Andrew, how's it going? I'm doing well. I'm uh, at home, just enjoying some uh, rare Los Angeles rain. It's pretty fitting weather for uh, the world ending. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Seriously. Have you lived in LA for a while? Yeah, I've been here for about eight years. I moved out um, whenever I was finishing up this film that I directed and shot called Rich Hill. Um, we were in post-production and that sort of moved me out here and I've stayed ever since. Where are you from originally? I grew up in central Missouri, um, in Jefferson city and, and around. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to just kind of, I feel like people right now in the film industry are kind of being like, are reaching like really cool levels of exposure in their career. And a lot of times it starts really small and, um, especially like, there's always like we always get really stoked when we get to talk to people from Middle America because that's kind of like where all three of us are from as well. Oh, cool! Um, yeah. I would love to, I would love to hear kind of like where it all began um, for for film and kind of what has led up where you're at now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how it was for you all, but um, for me, it was uh, difficult to imagine how the road to becoming a filmmaker was possible when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I don't really even know exactly all the roles in making movies, but I knew that I really liked movies and, and that it was something that I, um, you know, I kind of started understanding what a director was as I was getting older and into early um, high school or even middle school. And, um, but it also, it all felt super far. Um, You know, we had like a, an eight screen theater that largely only got blockbusters, but, um, didn't really know anyone at all who had, you know, come from where I'd come and went and made movies in any, mm-hmm. in any capacity, in any crew way or anything. So um, for me, it was then deciding that I should do something more practical um, and decided that I'd get, go to college for fine arts um, with the goal of eventually working in advertising. Cause it, it to me felt at least like, related to making movies in some ways. Like I like, um, I like commercials and I was like, Oh, that seems like a road that at least has jobs that I'm aware of. Right. Um, and it's possible. And, um, and yeah, and that was sort of the goal, but I couldn't repress the notion that I wanted to make movies. And, um, and I kind of, you know, I finished school and, or left school and, um, 
moved to New York and started making music videos and shooting photos for bands, um, you know, just like coming up through the like indie music scene um, at that time um, for one band in particular and um, started making a documentary about those guys. And uh, yeah, and then that sort of all snowballed from, you know, from music videos to shorts, to shorts, to features, and then the features then continue to grow and grow. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, the goal is to keep, keep growing them or, and keep meeting new people or interesting people, um, that I want to keep collaborating with. Yeah. Um, was it, was it always like motion picture for you or was there like other means of storytelling that maybe you ended up, you ended up landing in filmmaking later? No, I think it, it pretty much was that, I mean, it's like all, t- all, all visual arts, I would say like. You know, I think I was interested in in painting and I was interested in graphic design for a while and I actually got pretty serious about um, typography for a while and was like, oh, man, maybe I should go to grad school and um, go to Yale and like study typography. I was like, that sounds like the thing I want to do, which is (laughs) such a niche, but it was so into it. Um, But, you know, just all those things I've, I've found that movies are such a all, it's every art form in one. Um, mm. And that I think is what really scratches the itch of like getting excited about all those things and they're all in one piece. And of course now I'm not in control in any of those, of all of those things. But when I collaborate mm. with directors like David Lowry, you know, we're in constant communication all throughout pre-production and post and discussing titles and VFX. And, mm-hmm. um, and he's really open and, and I really love, being engaged with him about that stuff and, um, you know, allowing um, him, allowing me to have input on those things. Do you feel like you have been able to kind of like scratch the itch of design and typography in like title cards or like other things, or is that something that you're kind of like hands off with now? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't personally do them anymore. Like some of the very first features I did um, like a teacher, for instance, I did all of the typography in it, which is just handwritten. It's actually just my cursive. Um, and a lot of the promotional materials had my cursive on it. And, um, but since then, you know, and then also for Rich Hill, which is the, the film I mentioned earlier that I directed um, doing all the cards and stuff for that. Um, and some of the poster work and, um or advertising stuff and mm-hmm. you know and also like when you're when you're trying to self when you're trying to like bang the bang the drum and like get people to finance something you undoubtedly mm-hmm. have to design so many things like lookbooks yeah. and packets and all these things and and the same is true for even like getting a director excited for something for me shooting like i really mm-hmm. take care in presenting the images and the thoughts in a way that feels um it feels like it's the movie already instead of it just being mm-hmm. like throwing images at them, you know, like yeah. it can feel harmonious in all ways. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Cause we, we talk a lot about how like some of our favorite directors or filmmakers, like they're so amazing at creating these frames that are so visually pleasing. And sometimes like, we wish they would take just the extra step to design a world around it where it would be like presented well or sold yeah. well. Or like, yeah. And w- I think we've, and Abe, I know you have a lot to say about this too, but it's just like, that, that's why a lot, like we've been really pushing into like designing websites or like infrastructure for filmmakers this year. Cause it's like, man, this could be so much more amazing if it was experienced in a, in a container that really lends itself to, to the work. 
Yeah, and speaks speaks to the work or bounces off of the work. Um, mm. You know, it's like I, I'm sure you guys see this. This is like a very inside baseball um, observation, but I really just cringe when I see incredible looking shorts where the cinematography is amazing, the sound's mm. amazing, everything's on point, it's directed well, and then the type, like the title card, yeah. just oh yeah, just like you know, are massive <laughs> and like these weird quirky fonts and like what the fuck are you guys thinking? Right. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a blind spot for a lot of filmmakers and, you know, you can't know everything, um, right. but I do really appreciate holistic taste. Um, it, it cheapens the product. I feel like, you know, in, in a way, because it, it for whatever reason it, it got skimped out on, whether it was lack of resources or time or whatever, Yeah, it, it does, it does, you know, cheapen the product a little bit. Um, it does. I'm, I'm reading the, the, the Steve Jobs book right now and, and one of the things he uh, quote it was like god's in the details and I, and I think of um whatever medium you're in like that is true you know for for filmmaking and even after the fact that the film launches it's how it's presented um mm-hmm. because like people do judge book by covers you know and, or or oftentimes films by the first thing that they see uh, yeah and the, and the book should be judged by the cover too like i don't i just for me it's just always been mind-blowing that like youth like a film like a filmmaker whoever it is like you know whatever you're trying to to sell to people is like the title card might be the thing that really sells people on wanting to see the film like like you're 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 like asking people to purchase you're purchasing their time from them like whether it's an hour and a half to two hours or whatever it is it's like you got to do everything you can to present it well enough to to be sold to them right yeah that's true and i mean the thing about that that is so challenging as um you ultimately sell a film is retaining some of or finding finding distributors and collaborators collaborators who see what you see in it or have um similar taste and you don't often get that um mm-hmm. you know and i've i've made, i've worked on films where i've seen some promotional material that just really <laughs> is not on our level yeah. um, and yeah. and or is on a different thing you know it's like trying to put as many asses in the seat as possible in a traditional way instead of um, listening to what the film is and what yeah. is the film saying it wants to be and how. Um, but that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's where I feel a company like A24 has done so well is they continue exactly. the narrative in their own stuff, like in their own way. And it, um, it, it deepens the film in ways um, without, without being disingenuous to what the film is. Mm. I feel like someone could listen to this and, and um, kind of complain or, or, or say that we, we in saying this, that we're overlooking so many of the other aspects. But it, I, I would I would just say that, like, just by emphasizing this particular aspect of of a film or, or promotion or whatever doesn't, you know, necessarily negate all the other aspects. But right. one thing that we are saying is is the people that do pay attention to the details like the A24 and, and for a good example, the green Knight does a great job of, of, of this, you know, that with the type, it's something that will age well and, and kind of feels like, like, I don't know, like it, it could live in any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we're referring to is like those, those kind of like um, home run where like every detail is, is, is in line and, and paid attention to. And, and I think that for the people that really care, like we always, uh, we, we always tend to be attracted towards those kind of things. Mm-hmm. For sure. Andrew, I have a question. I think we'll talk a lot about 
I think naturally maybe we'll talk a lot a lot about A24 in a moment, but I kind of want to, you know, just talk about you growing up in Missouri. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Ohio. Abe grew up in Texas. Mackenzie grew up in Illinois. Everybody who's listening to this podcast probably knows that because we say it like all the time when we <laughs> talk to people from from um, mid-sized cities. But just wondering like how much of, because um, I was very much in the same way as you, something that really rang true when you were saying is like, I didn't even know that being a photographer or an art director was a real job. Like I just was taught that if you went to art school that you'll probably end up working at a coffee shop or whatever. And um, just wondering like how much of that upbringing has like affected and continues to affect um, your style of filmmaking or the stories that you're, you're telling. Like mm-hmm. I, would, I would just be curious to hear about that. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, th- it, it um, I need to think about that a bit as I don't th- I guess the thing that I'm immediately thinking of is that I was, my parents were supportive of me and that I was never told that I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do. And I think first and foremost, that was essential to me just mm-hmm. launching headfirst into whatever interested me. And if I, mm. if like I mentioned earlier, if, and for some crazy idea, I wanted to be a typographer, which is nearly a non-existent job at this point, right. my mom would have been like, Oh, interesting. Um, and wouldn't have been like, son, I think you need a job <laughs> that will pay you this amount of money. And so right that room to dream and that room to like go down a corridor really deeply um, and then take a really sudden right turn and say, you know, now I'm making films or just as I've directed um, and, and was directing very intensely and very seriously. I'm now just as intensely, if not more so um, a cinematographer at this point. And um, I think that that is certainly one aspect of um, where I came from and, and how I view things. Um, the other is that I just, I often have, I have a little bit of a scrappier, punkier attitude about what can and can't be done, I think. Yeah. Um, and when someone tells me, oh, we don't do it that way or it needs to be done this way, sometimes to um, my detriment i'm like no fuck that this is that's that's a stupid way of doing that let's do it this way um you know and 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 i think artists need to have a little bit of that um foolhardy arrogance um yeah just to say this is this is who i am this is how i feel like it should be done and maybe it's going to get us the same thing through a, a harder process but um you know that's the process that we're choosing to do um and i don't know that if that means anything to you but you know i i feel mm-hmm. that like particularly i guess when i'm when i'm bringing that up i'm just thinking about like um where i'm from and missouri is very red red state vibe and um you know i really was bouncing up against that and feeling as though i that wasn't for me and um mm-hmm. a lot of lifestyle choices were not for me and um, religion and um, you know, everything. And, uh, and so I think just that sort of collision with authority and, um, society as a whole, you know, was also part of my upbringing. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Do you guys feel the same way about that in any sense? Yeah. I think like, I mean, something that we've talked about a lot is like when you said doing things like in a scrappier way or something like definitely rings true, I think for us. And, and I'm, not sure if that's like just across the board growing up and like figuring this stuff out, but definitely like 
in middle America where maybe people don't have these same dreams or aspirations or maybe even resources, like the tools to get there. So you're kind of just figuring it out and making it up and looking at something that you like and trying to figure out the way to do it. So I think like the three of us have really like been built on that kind of scrappy nature. Like mouthwash basically was built on like scrappy things. And Mm -hmm. we've definitely grown a lot and come a a far away from there and landed in a place where we feel like we like feel good about, but definitely like in the early days, it was a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) It was like working at midnight, kind of like, make a I don't know just like just like like not following rules too you know like I think like not even not following rules but I think maybe a lot of the framework or structures that we were working were Mm non-traditional in a lot of ways yeah yeah that's just maybe sort of some of like the coming up in any in any field is that you bring you have to bring a scrappy attitude you got to fake it till you make it and um, you know do it by however you can by whatever means Mm -hmm. um, until the tools and resources are available to you right I would say it teaches you intuition, which I feel like for, for you, it's probably like super crucial um, as a DP and a director. Um, but I, w- one thing I'm curious is for, I'm always curious when I, when I uh, meet people that do both directing and DP because they're, they're similar, but they're very different. Um, is there one that you tend to lean towards or maybe, or, or maybe want to do more so than the other? Yeah, I think uh, presently I would say I'm, I'm a, DP and I, I don't really mention that I'm a director anymore. Um, okay. I haven't directed a film uh, since 2015 and uh, you know, I've done directed some commercials since then and um, do little things. And, you know, I've been developing some scripts and uh, also a television series um, just sort of in my off time from shooting. And that's just, you know, when I have a nice long downtime in between films or commercials, that's just, I need something to do. And I busy myself with my own, my own projects, which tend to be things that I would direct. Um, Mm -hmm. but then ultimately what happens is I'll get excited about something and, um, you know, a script that I'm offered or another project and I'm, you know, leave, Mm -hmm. leave those ideas behind. Mm -hmm. Um, but we'll see what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not putting any of them out of, you know, I'm not saying I'm not a director anymore at all. And I think some, some people like agents and things want you to say that, that you're only one or the other. Um, and I don't think that's as clear cut as it used to be, um, Mm -hmm. where where directors would be apprehensive to work with the DP who had also directed that you, that is a thing. Some people don't like that. Um, but I think that's less and less a thing as we all now do everything, um, because we have to out of necessity. Yeah. What what about I guess I guess DPing um, makes you favorite over directing? Um, just curious. Yeah, I think um, for me it's it is something that I'm perhaps more naturally um, able to do, um, and that like image making has always been my strength, um, and image making through storytelling is, you know, the, where I sort of am. And I feel like as a director, that is true, but perhaps flipped a little bit in that Mm. you are more focused on character and story with visuals instead of the other way around. Um, And when I think about the film, the narrative film I directed, um, if I'm to be critical of it, I would say that its biggest weakness is not the visual direction. And I think the acting's great. And, you know, on the surface, everything looks good, but, 
where it falls short is w- the screen, uh, the screenplay, um, which I, which I co-wrote with a friend. Um, and you know, we were, we were doing the best we could at the time, but I think that is its weakness. And that was my weakness as a director to not mm-hmm. notice that and not tease it out further. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, small things like that. And, you know, of course we're critical, all critical of our own work. Um, but that's right. just an example of like when I think about my strengths as uh, one over another. Yeah. That, that takes a lot to like, to be humble in that way. Like to say, and I think it's like maybe a, maybe something that's we, when you get to a certain level of work, you kind of look at it as like, Oh yeah, of course. But I think a lot, maybe a lot of the people that listen to this are a little bit younger and, um, not younger as in like they're probably our age, like in our twenties. But I think it's just so important to recognize like, Oh, I'm actually not, I, why would I do this myself if I could hire, hire or work with somebody who's immensely better at this thing? Yeah. Um, which I think takes a lot. Um, yeah. I would say though, you know, it's um, there's that and it, it can be of course expensive and prohibitive for people to hire those that are more experienced, but you know, of course you're going to have to continue to do things yourself Um, Mm -hmm. but what I would just say about that, that where I, from my perspective now is that when I reflect on previous work, I'm far enough away from it and, um, you know, have more stability, uh, and also am not actively trying to promote those films where I don't have to act like it's the best thing in the world. You know, like when you're putting out that, when I put out that film, I wore a face as though I was, um, you know, entirely happy with it. And inside I was like, um, you know, self-critical as you are of any work, even work right. you're really proud of, you're self-critical of. And it's much easier to talk openly about those things five years later when right. it's no longer an active thing that I'm trying to sell. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's that's uh, self-reflection and self-critic, self-criticism or something are things that I could talk about at length because it's um, something I've struggled with for a long time from my very first shorts. Um, mm. um, yeah. How do you, like now just wrapping the Green Knight and kind of going through that experience, do you feel like you're still in this phase of like, are you highly self-reflective of that, even though it's still so fresh? Or do you feel like that comes later? It, it goes in different waves. Um, you know, while you're shooting something, you can be really excited about it. And the images are coming so fast. And you're looking back at each, each week's footage, let's say, which is a, a habit of mine over the weekend. I'll just look at all the dailies and um, take stock of everything. And I like to send an email around to all the key crew with our stills. And, you know, it just kind of gives everyone, pumps everybody up about what we're making. And I really enjoy that. And then, you know, then it'll be some time while, <laughs> while it's being edited, where you're reflecting on it and you're thinking about the things you could have done better, maybe. And then you see it and you're like, Oh, this is great. And then you, then you reflect again, you know, it just bounces <laughs> back, and back and forth. And, and I'm at a weird place right now where, uh, it's done. And, uh, and I think as a director, you can speak to this even more sometimes, but where you're at, a, you have it and it's done and almost no one has seen it. And mm. you have to remind yourself, well, this is as best as we could make given the conditions and the, where I was at the time and what I mm-hmm. feel. And when it goes out in the world, I need to retain that joy, that love of that thing that I have, no Mm. matter what happens. Yeah. Um, And you certainly hope that it goes well. And if it goes well, that's great. But if it doesn't, you still need to remember, hey, actually, I really liked it. Um, And maybe there was something there 
um, despite any um, any sway that uh, people may have on you. Mm. Yeah, like the reaction and itself and how well it's received doesn't define its its experience for you. I think that's like something absolutely right. Yeah, every artist is going to struggle with. You know, you have it and you crafted it and you made it, and then you somehow like the world is automatically going to shape the way you feel about it, mm-hmm. which is which is tough. Yeah, and also it's a weird place to be, right, where you don't know what the world thinks about it. Right, right. you're just waiting for your interpretation. Yeah, and like. And to like be in a position where you're like, okay, I've seen this thing literally a million times more than anyone will ever see this in, t- in their entire life. Yeah, and it's so impo- it's so almost so impossible to like reset your mind to be like, okay, nobody has seen this yet. Like you're gonna be obviously way more critical of all the small things than somebody will be of from course, the first time yeah. you watch it. I'm really excited about the movie, though. I have to say, like, I I, um, I think it's my strongest work far and away. Um, it's really really stunning and some of the stuff like yeah i can't talk too much about it but um yeah you know i I think some of the things david has done in this movie and the cast and um and costume and production design it's all just phenomenal i think it's really some of our our strongest work can you give us a like a little i don't know anything about it um can you give us like a little yeah yeah um so the trailer's online it's it's the green knight um it's adapted from a an old king arthur tale um and uh, called Gawain in the Green Knight. And the story is um, on Christmas, a big Christmas feast, um, the Green Knight enters into the Great Hall with you know the round table and King Arthur and everybody and throws a challenge down. And our hero Gawain, who's played by Dev Patel, steps up and says, you know, I'll take this challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this challenge sort of leads him on a, on a, a quest of morality and um you know what it uh you know his his sort of hero's quest um among among other things cool well, well we're s- uh, yeah, so I'm excited stoked. to see it i have a question for you um because i feel like oftentimes dps don't get enough credit like i think and maybe within the industry they do but i'll tell you it, like you know for the general public they don't get as, as much recognition or credit um, but it's a tough task to be able to like have to execute a lot of these things that often are just, you know, words on a paper. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what like features about this, um, wh- were some of the things that you were really proud of, like uh, whether it be style, tone, lighting, like, um, because, you know, I've seen the, the trailer and it, it is really, you know, a, a great piece. Um, and I think, I'd be curious to hear from you, like what were some of your most proud or favorite elements from that? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's just a big step up in the scope of the work. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy epic and there's, you know, um, castles and sword, swords and there's magic and, and it's just all feeling like the, the movie that I feel like we set out to make. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels, it feels rich and deep and, beautiful um and and a lot of that i think does come down to some of the lensing and lighting that i that i reflect on in my work and mm. um i think the lighting's really quite nice and there's a there's one scene in particular which there haven't been any images from but it's a big nighttime sequence that I, it's just um really every time the first image of that scene pops up i'm like yes this is so mm-hmm. great um yeah can't wait for images of that to start popping up mm-hmm Man, has there been has there been any like I guess uh, past work in, in other people's uh, film 
that has kind of like given you inspiration from some of your, you know, current work? Yeah. I mean, um, for me, it's, it's really project to project dependent. So, you know, in this film, I watched nearly every King Arthur movie that exists, which is quite a few and many are quite bad. And, but that was just to understand what was sort of the visual language that they're working within and um, how I want to position ourselves against it. And, you know, also, of course, this is all filtering through the director and our other collaborators, but throwing a lot out on the table from those films, um, uh, just as sort of the, this is the, the groundwork, I guess. And then, um, trying to think what all else we were like really looking at at the time. I really like, um, this Paul Verhoeven movie, flesh and blood. It's just kind of a very gory, visceral sex filled medieval movie. And it feels grimy in the way that I suspect the dark ages actually were and not in the way that feels, um, you know, opulent and clean. And, um, it just is our movie is not that, but I just love that how nasty that movie was able to make it and how dangerous it made it feel. Um, um, along, along the same, along the same lines. Um, I really love the, uh, this movie, the color of pomegranates, which is just compositionally so stunning. It's, um, very poetic movie with lots of very still frames, really strong graphical frames. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and the Green Knight has a lot of very strong center-punched um, wide wide shots of groups and, um, you know, and, and adoring sort of the architecture around and um, using using people compositionally as times uh, at times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, I think we're excited to... I think it's cool to... <laughs> I, this is like a... This is a really, like, awesome conversation because again kind of like what we were talking about earlier is like you you pay money to go to the movie theater and then you you feel like you'll never like it's interesting to talk to the person that was like had such a heavy hand in like making of a film mm-hmm. um, because those things always just feel like so like far away um but yeah it is like kind of interesting to like just chat through it with you and like hear your perspective because you were the one like actually controlling what was coming on screen but yeah, um, happy to happy to share about it, and can't wait for you all to finally see it, whichever whenever that actually happens. Right, and and so that kind of leads me into this next question is, um, and probably I'm sure it's something you get asked a lot, but um, when you have finished making, I think film is so interesting because it's like such a prolongated process. Um, when when you guys finish and you're kind of like waiting for it to come out or it's in post or whatever, are you like ready to move on to the next project or is it hard for you to part ways with something that you've spent you know years on? Um, it it really just depends. It, like mm-hmm. in this film, I knew that we were going to do a little bit more shooting um, after the principal photography, so I kept my schedule pretty clear um, mm-hmm. because I knew I wanted to finish this one out strong and um, and a lot of those collaborators and the producers on that film are some of my closest friends. So it was like, you know, it's never going to get better than hang out with these people all the time. So why rush off and make another movie? Um, but my general mood is that I should, that ideally I would like to just do one movie a year and then Mm -hmm. commercials the rest of the year. Um, which, you know, actually isn't a lot of time when you do a movie as long as the one we just did, which, Mm -hmm. you know, took, nearly a year of my time. So right. um, it really just depends. You know, sometimes I've, I've rushed off and immediately jumped into something else. And that's just because of timing of it normally is dictated by actors. It's like, Oh, this actor's available this time we're going and we can't mm-hmm. look back. So sorry if you don't get to go home and 
uh, see your loved ones. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta fly and be on set. So, right, right. Wow, where'd you guys film it? Where, where were the film locations? We um, we shot in Ireland. We were based in Dublin, um, and shot all over Ireland, uh, largely in Wicklow, and um, we all lived in in Dublin. And, and there wow. were some stages outside of Dublin, and it was great. I mean, we scouted scouted all of Ireland, we scouted Hungary, and we scouted uh, a castle in France. Yeah, and like this is you know great. Grow, travel around with some of my best friends, and um, you know talk about imagining as a movie to, together. Right. Quick question: How has it been? Because you know we, we all pretty much started like in the I guess commercial agency world, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really curious um, because you started in, in it as well, like how has it been from going on a commercial set where you're just like, you're maybe on the project like a month, uh, two months, you know, um, if you're directing, if you're DPing it, sometimes you just show up. Yeah. Um, but how has it been from going like from that to literally, you know, like pretty much a year of your life is devoted to this one project. Yeah. Well, so I, I really kind of started, I didn't actually even get very far into the advertising world before I bailed and was like just straight up, mm-hmm. you know, making music videos and stuff. But to that point that you're making it, it, it is um, a much more of a marathon. Like um, you really have to pace yourself and be kind to yourself and your body. And, you know, uh, thankfully when you make movies at this scale and in union, you get, you know, five day weeks instead of what I started doing, which are six day, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get like, less than 24 hours off and then you're back at it, um, for, you know, another week. And that's just as intense, but, um, I really like try not to drink while I'm shooting. Um, like on, you know, of course not on set, but I mean, after set, right, right. um, you know, but sometimes you got to drink on, no, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I try to eat well and I don't really socialize that much. And, and honestly, like this, this film, I was training to run a marathon during, and that was so crucial wow. for me is like wow. keeping exercise and fitness, um, just as important to me. And it kept me mentally sharp and, and had, you know, full energy stores through a long process. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I, I feel like we're, you know, we'll have like a three day commercial shoot or something for a client. And it's like, we never want to touch a camera again after that. Or like, <laughs> it's like I just can't, I'm just yeah. like, man, my problems are so like, luckily you have union to, you know, protect it and make it feel as like, as normal of a physical yeah. workload as anybody it's else. Just, but it's, it's always so physically taxing and like, emo- like emotionally and like mentally. I can't it, is. Imagine. it is, but I have to say it always scales to whatever the work is. Like mm, I could right. do a two day commercial and I could feel just as exhilarated and, um, and ready to be done when it's done versus, mm. you know, a 50 day feature, let's say. And, right. um, it, it always is, it always scales to the work. Like I did a, a Samsung commercial earlier this year, which was six days of shooting. And, and that felt like an eternity. I was like, when is this yeah. going to be over? Right. Like I can't six <laughs> days. Like, what is this? And, um, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Um, man, I, w- I kind of want to swing back to um, this topic that we were kind of talking about earlier um, in the podcast, and um, you may have thoughts on this as a as a whole, and maybe you don't. But um, we and probably a lot of people our age like love a twenty four. I think um, they're doing way more than just producing films. Um, it kind of feels like a creative studio or an agency or they kind of have a perspective or voice with their podcast. They make merch and, 
do all this kind of stuff? And um, do you think that, do you, what, what about all that do you think works really well for them? And then my second part of that question is like, when you were making a ghost story, did you, because that was like one of the earlier films with A24, right? Yeah, but they acquired it. Like we made it without them and Got then it. offered it, um, you know, when you go to a festival, a film is put up for sale. Um, yeah. And they, they bought it before Sundance. Um, but then, of did, course, they distributed it and were involved heavily mm-hmm. and all that. Um, yeah. Did that, did that feel like on you, for you guys, were you like, man, this is, did you guys see that as like a really great opportunity? Um, because like A24 at the time probably wasn't one of the biggest, I don't know if they were the biggest production company to offer to purchase your film at the time. But was there like a, like a real feeling like, man, I think these guys are doing it right. This is, these are people we want to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I can't say exactly what um, the producers and and um, were thinking, but it, it certainly was like the ideal mm-hmm. home for us, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and knowing that that was um, that was a, they were going to be handling it through Sundance and stuff was really exciting, and also mm-hmm. like a, a stamp of approval for a film, which was very challenging and um, interesting and weird. And we we're like, oh, great! So we made this thing, and it seems like other people are going to like it too. So right. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I, I really I really like what they do, and um, I I'm not as engaged in as many things that um, you know, like their merch and social media as much. But you know, I know they do great stuff in that um, in those spaces. But I really, more than anything, really appreciate um, the diverse group of filmmakers that mm-hmm. they've um, helped shepherd mm-hmm. films and and give um, a platform um, and and a unique platform for challenging films that wouldn't have previously been released um you know who get who get bad cinema score reviews um Mm -hmm. upon exit but they're still super into themselves and they stand behind them and um and they give them interesting releases and um thankful for that and and all the great films that they put out yeah yeah i think like just naturally thinking of a24 is obviously this thought of like this kind of like indie production and like this different way of storytelling. And um, like you said, maybe these stories wouldn't have been told otherwise. Um, Do you think this trend of like this style of movies are just going to keep pushing more and more into mainstream? Or do you feel like right now it's in and then it'll be out again and then in again? Or do you feel like it's finally getting its day in the sun? I don't know. I mean, I think there's been, there's been waves of it um, throughout film history where it seems like the real artists are getting actually making movies that are doing well and getting out there. And it seems like it happens and, and then it, it can fade away a bit, but it just shifts and changes. Like I'm thinking of the auteurs of the seventies and the American, you know, American auteurs mm-hmm. of the seventies. And then mm-hmm. of course you think of like the, the nineties Indies, indie guys and, um, and their films and, and they were working with the studio system and, um, uh, putting out interesting work and uh, you know, hopefully it just will continue. I would love for, you know, obviously um, films to continue to get more and more diverse and I, mm-hmm. I welcome all voices and, and really look forward to it being much more democratic. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, and, and just like the day and age, it's the same with music, right. Is like the more available stuff is the more opportunity people have. And, that kind of like begs the other question too. That says like with all these with all this access, um, especially with film being one of the harder you know maybe barriers to entry. Um, it's like the best stuff really kind of rises to the top through all of that. Like the more mm-hmm. um, right. the more yeah. that can be made, um, 
it's like, how do we keep this like non gatekeeper mentality? That's like, okay, we're going to welcome all this stuff to be made and just trust that, you know, the best stuff creatively is, is being shared and is like what is popular or maybe not even popular, but just, you know, being put out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff right now. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I'm not going to be the one that says, Oh, we need to have less stuff. Right. We need less, <laughs> we need less movies. We need less TV. We need, it's, it doesn't, you know, the, as you said, the good stuff will rise to the top and yeah, um, it's amazing. I'm so glad that there's all these things. Obviously there's from where we're speaking presently, nothing is being made. Um, and right. that is really unfortunate. And, um, I hope that, uh, we can all get back to work. I will say like, man, am I thankful for, for everything that, you know, has been shot because could you imagine what we would do during this quarantine without movies like yeah. right <laughs> or if the access to it you know like well, imagine, you know. yeah the access is so much better now it's insane right. to think that how many you have at your fingertips like right oh my god like i hope it it really brings value to 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 the industry um for people because like i think it is important not just like in america but just in the, in the world like as humans like i think it's 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 kind of integral in in like in how we should be should be living and 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 consuming things and um it's i don't know i i think of like all the things that this will impact going forward and i get excited um but kind of curious to hear from you like what do you feel like the ind- there could be more of in the industry or maybe that it's lacking well i mean particularly in um cinematography the first thing that comes to mind is just more diverse cinematographers and um, Mm -hmm. often when I look around and and crews, when I look around a set, it's often staffed by people who look just like me, which is to say a white male. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, I, I try my best to help mentor and offer any help that I can. um, And um, really, really would love to see much more diverse sets and, um, and, and try the best I can do to, to hire diversely as well. And I think that's hugely important. Um, I think the work will be better for it and mm. we will, we will have much richer, more interesting films as a result. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Why do you, why do you think that is? I'm sure there are like a, a lot of reasons why, but I mean, you're kind of on the front lines, like, uh, well, it's I'm just like, it's such a, for me, it's it, if for nothing else is like, it doesn't reflect our world. It, it feels like an echo chamber of the same thoughts and the, th- the same feelings and um, the same upbringings. Like I, I love so much to speak to people who are not, who did not grow up like me and, um, or grew up in the same place as me, but very differently, let's say, mm-hmm. or have a totally different perspective on the same thing. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's just not, not to mention the, like, you think of what a classic, um, I don't know. The classic coming of age film, let's say, is just like, as an example, is like so often just from a young 20 somethings first film filmmaker, white male perspective. Mm. Um, and even if you just take that very, very small subgenre and you filter it through everyone else in the world to just see those, that type of film redone and done and done differently. Um, with different voices that excites me and, um, and seeing their perspectives and their way of making films. And um, yeah, I, I, so, so um, I'm so glad that it seems to be shifting that way. And I, I really hope and um, hope it mm-hmm. continues. 
Yeah. Even like I think of foreign films um, and how like I, the more I get into them, the more I realize there's so much like unta- untapped talent outside of the U.S. that's like really not being used because of this like mindset of of like and I don't even know how to describe it, but it's almost like it's a it's a very like closed in industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there are definitely people leading it, you know. Obviously, I, I would classify A24 as like one of the, the more progressive, um, I guess, production companies. You know, they just just seeing like Chasey Irving, you know, do stuff for them um, is, is a good example where like, you know, you had a black cinematographer um, actually mm-hmm. do something. Um, yeah. So that, yeah, I think diversity is, I mean, we always, I mean, we try to do that too, even on like our photo shoot or commercial sets and it's funny because you'd like just so subconsciously just hire people you worked with before they hire yeah. their friends. You realize like you look, you show up on set that day and you're like, Oh my God, like we're telling a story about ourselves, which is not interesting because it's the same story that's been told for the past 150 years. Um, which I kind of like guess is what you're getting to. And that's not exactly. to say, yeah. Yeah. That's not to say like, I don't, and like, it's, it's like so important too to not be on the other extreme of being like, okay, like, all white males, straight white males need to like take a seat for the next like 20 years or whatever. But, like, <laughs> right. You know, like, and that's the hard balance too, right? It's like, what sure. are we- yeah, but you can also, uh, or at least I can in my position, um, use my, my straight white male um, privilege to help other people. And, um, right. you know, when I'm hiring, my ACs can all attest that I always ask them to make the second phone call, which is not to call your first friend who looks exactly like us. Get mm. do a little extra work, make two, three, four, five phone calls until you find somebody else. Um, yeah. and let's help out and let's bring up some people and um, mm. let's change the makeup of the set. Yeah, man, that's that's really that's, that's awesome to hear, dude. Um, cool. I mean, I'm sure this is like a topic that is talked about a lot, but um, I'd be curious that uh, to hear about. Um, I, I guess we talked a little bit about where film started for you and um, kind of would love to talk about where it, where it ends um, or does it ever end or, you know, kind of what's the big, what's the big star <laughs> well, in this guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm retired right now, so <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Same. It feels, yeah, it feels like it's over, but uh, no, I've, I, I really look forward to get, getting back to work and um, obviously we're all, we're all putting a pause on that for the right reasons. And, um, but when, when, we're able to get back to making movies. I really look forward to continuing to make um, the type of films that I have, like in, in the green night of, you know, a, a medium level film. Um, that's a, a challenging, a challenging sell. It's not like an easy um, popcorn spoon fed sort of movie. Um, it's, you know, director driven, very, uh, very artful film and those will continue to be the ones that, that I look for and, um, and I'm, you know, have a few on the burner and uh, hopefully they'll, they'll get off the ground. And um, yeah, just, as I said, kind of like one a year and commercials and, uh, and then we'll see. Yeah. Do you feel like your, um, your career path will be like one of those where at one point you retire, you just kind of like Roger Deacon style and like just <laughs> never quit? It's hard to say, man. I, I don't know what actually caught, like when I, I'm, I'm deeply fearful of not being able to work for some reason, mm-hmm. not from illness, but from just like, um, I don't know when you look at some, some DPs, IMDBs occasionally, IMDB occasionally, you're like, how the hell did this happen where 
three, four great films, and then all of a sudden they're shooting like Air Bud three, mm. and they're shooting Hallmark <laughs> movies, right. and and I just don't know what happens there. Um, and I'm I'm conscious of my etiquette on set, and the and I'm conscious of uh, being you know answering emails and phone calls and like making sure that I'm not a problem person. <laughs> Right. I, I like it scares me to death to imagine that I would live out my days shooting Hallmark movies because right. you know you have a family to support of course um, and that's important but and and that's I'm I, I am definitely shitting on those movies if there's people out there that make those movies and they enjoy them um, <laughs> I hats off to you I don't mean right. to like my nephew personally loved Air Bud Three <laughs> yeah man. well your nephew's got great taste. <laughs> No, that's, yeah. that's all of them. I hear you. I wonder if, um, you know, maybe not as extreme or tragic of, as that, but this might be another can of worms that we can open up. Um, I've always wondered, like, you know how, like, certain artists have what feels like their stride and some artists continue to get better throughout their entire career until they die and some, like you said, have that short span of two or three films that are amazing and then it's like, oh, they maybe they missed on this one and then it's like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. maybe they missed again. Um, do you think people's, like, Taste change over time, or do you think people just have their sprints and strides and and maybe lose their edge? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a little of it's a little of both. Um, it's like when you look at some of those filmmakers who have lasted a long time, they have grown and shifted in ways, but it's subtle. Um, but the same is true in like this is a a tangent, but in music, sometimes like musicians can keep doing the same thing and it will go Mm -hmm. out of vogue, but it'll come back around and they're still doing it the exact same way they were doing it. Um, and that's the other way of of it, you know, like I could keep shooting the exact same way I shot this movie and maybe it'd be fashionable again, let's say, or interesting, but that wouldn't be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to keep growing and I want to keep trying new and different things. And I hope that I retain some finger on the pulse of what, um, what is interesting and what right. people will happen to like, and maybe ha- those two things overlap. Um, yeah. and it's so hard to know, you know, when I look at some stuff from like other eras, you, you're like, Oh, you were very clearly in a fad there and it's mm-hmm. not aging well. Um, and so it's tough sometimes to be conscious of those of things which are which feel too fashionable, let's say, um, mm. and not just like a pure classic um, taste or image or thought. Um, right. I don't know. It, there's a lot to unpack there, I guess, and right, right. certainly like going on a bunch of different alleys. But yeah, yeah, it's like this weird like internal conversation or like just thought that I feel like maybe we have um, as artists or makers of things that it's like, how do you continue to advance, you know, what you've done, but also not forget what makes you good at what you do. Yeah. Uh, is like, I just think a really looming, like difficult thing mentally for a lot of people. But, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I'm conscious of trying harder at different things and improving on different things. And that might be very subtle now at this point in my work, mm-hmm. like the things that I was focusing on in the green night were not the things I was focusing on, on the movie before. Um, right. and, and that could be very, very subtle things like eye lights, for instance, I got kind of into on the green night and I mm-hmm. really 
was like positioning my light that would just ping the eye and really working on that shape and that intensity and that color. And, Mm. uh, and that's such a niche thing that almost Mm. no one will notice, but it's something that I got really into. Um, and I think growing and diving deeper and deeper and, and, and not just hitting like your cruise control, maybe Mm. is a path to, to a long career. Um, and, and also not when I hear myself say that also not getting so bogged down with like the mm-hmm. de- details and like shaking it up and really trying it different and really like listening to what your director is bringing to the table. If it's so different than what you're used to, maybe there's something there that you need to listen to and, mm-hmm. um, and, and take and, and grow with. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, just kind of as we wrap up here, I would love to know, like, do you have any other hobbies apart from filmmaking? I know you like, you have this whole sector of like microscope work. That's not necessarily like film DPing or anything like that, but do you have any other like hobbies? Yeah. I mean, um, are you secretly like a scientist? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was, you know, actually I, I wrote something. I get a lot of emails from young filmmakers who just like, you know, ask very, um, basic questions and just like broad questions. And I wrote, wrote it down the other day to somebody and I started thinking more and more about it that maybe I, I I really do like science and I always have liked science, but I think I only like it on an aesthetic level. Like Mm. I can't do the math and I could never do chemistry (laughs) like anything very well, but I really love looking at cells and I love looking at planetary, you know, formations or whatever. And, um, that uh, so maybe maybe I'm just like a the, the world's worst scientist. Like I'm not sure. Um, otherwise, hobbies wise, like as I mentioned, I, I you know really spent a lot of time running, um, as many people are doing, and many DPs as well. If you notice and follow many on Instagram, gotten into bread baking over the, over this quarantine. <laughs> oh really? Oh my uh, God. I'm uh, I'm into house plants. I really love gardening, and um, I like like taking walks around the neighborhood and like bringing home clippings of different plants that I've stumbled upon and, um, growing them and potting them around my house. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just lots of little random things that are like very homey and like, um, home focused. Cause then when I'm not, when I'm shooting, I have no home and I get, I don't know, all those things die and all those hobbies go away. (laughs) Right. It's good to start over again. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, did we, uh, I think I could speak for all of us, but we really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like you have a lot of uh, really great formulated thoughts around what you do and why you do it. And um, this is, these are the kind of conversations that help keep us going. So thanks for your time. Well, thank man. you. That's very nice to say. Thanks for having yeah, me. It was great. Thanks again for listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. For more information, you can follow us on social media or check us out at mouthwash.com.